0: Welcome back to yet another season of Health Charcha, issued in public interest by Medtronic. I'm Deepti Ahuja, podcast producer, HT Smartcast, and your podcast host and host on the show. Here we will discuss all of your burning health-related questions. So, let's begin. हम जब होंगे 60 साल के और तुम होगी पच्पन की बोलो प्रीत निभाओगी ना तब भी अपने बचपन की तुम जब होगे 60 साल के और मैं होंगी की प्रीत की जलाऊंगी मैं तब भी अपने बचपन की Cute song, no? The promises are equally tough to maintain though, especially in today's day and age where most people, no matter their age, are running around to make ends meet. So let's discuss what we can do for our loved ones post the DBS surgery and what information do we need to share with them to empower them so that when we aren't around, they have the understanding and the agency to take care of themselves. And to talk to us about DBS post-surgery care and caregiver support in this episode, we have with us Dr. Aditya Gupta. He is the Director of Neurosurgery at Artemis Hospital, Gurgaon. Hi, Dr. Aditya. How are you?
1: All good. Thank you so much for the invite, uh, Deepti. And it's wonderful to be here. It's a very nice day and it's very nice to be here with all of you.
0: Awesome. I'm also pretty excited. Um, so, Dr. Now, let's say, you know, we or our loved ones, we undergo the DBS surgery. What happens when this person who undergoes DBS wakes up? Uh,
1: So that's a great question. You know, the interesting thing I'd like to highlight here is for most of the surgery, actually the patient is awake. Uh, It's only for the last hour or so that we put them under anesthesia. Hmm. And once they wake up from anesthesia, of course, uh, they will have some patients do complain of some uneasy sensation. Some may have a little bit of nausea, uh, hmm. but really most of the patients wake up very comfortably. Uh, and of course, we manage the pain medication requirement and all that stuff. So really, most of the patients wake up very comfortably uh, and it's actually a very short anesthesia that we give them. Uh, And usually we just observe them for about a few hours in the ICU and then Mm -hmm. really they're back to their room the next morning and they begin walking and eating and, you know, going about uh, their normal recovery process.
0: That's amazing. So, okay. Now, so the patient has, you know, come home. What are some of the things that they need to watch out for during the first couple of weeks?
1: Right. So basically, after the patients come home, which is is typically on after day three of the surgery, they would actually be back home. Yeah. A couple of things they should uh, watch out for is basically if they start to develop any fever. So if a patient feels unwell or feverish, I would recommend they note down their uh, temperature. Mm -hmm. In fact, they can make a chart uh, about it. Uh, The other thing to watch out for if they have too much pain or swelling at the area of the surgery. So in Mm -hmm. DBS surgery, they would really have two small incisions on the head, Mm -hmm. which is where the uh, wire goes inside the brain. Mm -hmm. And there is another small incision beneath the left collarbone, which is where the pacemaker is put. Right. So at these spots, if they feel too much pain, they should just inspect the area. there is a feeling of uh, swelling or it looks to be red, then mm-hmm. I would say they should uh, get in touch with us. In any case, we call them every second or third day for a change of the surgical side dressing. right. And if there is anything else which is bothering them, for example, if there is too much nausea or if the pain medications we gave them is not covering their pain requirements, Mm -hmm. then that's the other thing they should let us know.
0: Right. Makes sense. Uh, So imagining that, you know, one is healed from the DBS surgery, when and how does the stimulation begin, Dr. Aditya?
1: Uh, Yes, so that's another very, very important and practical question. Uh, Mm. Typically, what we follow at our center and actually in our center uh, and together with my neurophysician, Dr. Sumit Singh, actually, we've done more more than 450 such surgeries in the last 20 years. Wow. Now, the protocol, what we follow is that we switch on the stimulation on the first post-operative day itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after that, basically, when you're asking me is that when one is healed from the DBS surgery. So what I would say is that the wound healing Mm -hmm. uh, takes about 9 to 10 days. So basically, we would remove the sutures from the surgical sites on the ninth or the 10th day. So the sutures from the surgical site, they come out on the ninth post-operative day. And the stimulation actually begins on the first post-operative day itself. So that when we discharge the patient on the third post-op day, the device actually has been switched on.
0: Interesting. And
1: on follow-up, when they come to us every second or third day thereafter, Hmm. uh, sometimes the programming is done. If the patient does not require programming and the motor function is actually very good, Mm -hmm. Uh, then there may actually not be a requirement of too frequent programming. So it's a very smooth process. Uh, The first, I would say, 9-10 days, the programming basically follows the patient's visit to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And typically what I've seen happen is that after we remove the sutures on the ninth day, uh, patients require very little programming for the next couple of weeks.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And uh, I had no clue that you don't really have to heal from the surgery to actually have, uh, you know, the simulation begin. Uh, Thank you uh, for, you know, pointing that out. I
1: also like to add that we give the patient what is called as a patient programmer and that enables them to sort of, uh, you know, they can themselves check that the system is on, And they can Hmm. themselves find out how much is the charge level in the pacemaker. So, you know, some of the pacemakers are rechargeable. Hmm. Patients are able to recharge them uh, every week. So, it actually, there's a lot of high-tech information that is available to the patient. And they feel sort of taking charge of their own health, you know. That's the beauty about this treatment.
0: Are there any side effects of the simulation, Dr. Aditya?
1: yeah so well that's very very uncommon and what i would say is the first couple of times when the programming is done during the follow-up visits to the hospital hmm. uh, at that time itself if there are some very very mild side effects it becomes clear Not typical side effects could be a tingling on one side or both sides of the body uh hmm. sometimes patients uh, abnormal movements which they have, which we call dyskinesias or tremors, sometimes they become more prominent. Mm -hmm. Sometimes patients do have some slurring of speech. At times they could even have some temporary double vision. They could feel more unsteady than they were previously. But as I said, uh, these are very, very unusual. Mm -hmm. Uh, And basically what it calls for is that in this technology, we have a lot of leeway. So, mm-hmm. you know, each electrode which is there in the brain has four contact points. Mm-hmm. And each of those four contact points can be chosen for stimulation. And we have a lot of leeway in terms of the frequency and the current which we are passing through the electrodes. So, mm-hmm. I've, I've yet to see a patient in whom uh, we could not get a good effect and we were able to avoid any side effect of the stimulation. Rarely it does happen so it's mm-hmm. nice for the patients to know that all these kind of uh, stimulation induced side effects can be there and if they do feel that they should definitely promptly report it to us
0: right and then you will make the necessary adjustments uh, in order to in order for them to avoid these side effects right it's like yes. adjusting yes. So medication it's exactly. it's kind of like that right
1: exactly so for us when we sort of uh, our own device for Programming is a far more complex device. As I mentioned, Mm -hmm. we have access to a lot more parameters on the pacemaker and we can fine tune these stimulations so that the patient does not have these side effects.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Now, I'm sure that, uh, you know, when you have such a device fitted into you and you've gone through such a ordeal with your, you know, with the illness, what are some of the lifestyle changes that one needs to observe after they get the DBS therapy?
1: Yeah, so another another great question and very, very practical and relevant. Uh, to be honest, I think one of the great things about this technology is that actually there are no significant lifestyle changes that need to be made. You know, the patients who are physically active, patients who want to get into sports, travel, whatever their hobbies are, uh, there is actually really no significant curtailment of their quality of life. Hmm. Now, having said that, there are a couple of things they should keep in mind. So they have to carry a card which is given to them showing that they have an implanted pacemaker device. Uh, That is something which they can show to the security personnel when they are at the airport because they should not pass through the door frame metal detector. Now, having said that, uh, even if they do pass, all that is going to happen is that because of the magnetic field, the device may shut down it's not that they will have some adverse effect or some serious side effect if they pass through a door for a medical director. Now, a couple of people in the family should be aware fully of the patient's condition. One or two of the family members should actually know how to operate the device Hmm. and to operate the patient programmer. This is because if a patient is otherwise ill from another illness and they are not able to do the needful for their own device, Hmm. one or two other family members should be there who can take care of the device if the uh, need arises. Hmm. Uh, one thing which I would like to mention is when I was mentioning that even people who are engaged in sports, etc., yeah. the quality of life remains maintained. Having said that, a very, very severe hyperextension or a lot of vigorous neck movements that are sudden and jerky uh, should be generally be avoided. Because it places a stress and strain on the wires that course from the uh, beneath the skin of the head mm-hmm. and through the neck into the device. So mm-hmm. one should be mindful that one does not uh, put any undue stress or strain on the hardware that has been implanted. A very, very uh, vigorous massage or a deep tissue massage should be avoided uh, over those areas. Mm. Uh, If after any activity, the patient feels uncomfortable in the area of the implantation of the device or the surgical area, obviously, they should bring it to our notice. Uh, They should definitely carry a card containing the current medicine doses. So that is something like a medical card, which is very prevalent in the other countries in which uh, if supposing the patient were to pass out or become unconscious, even a passerby would be able to see what kind of medicine this patient was taking.
0: Absolutely. These are some of
1: the basic precautions.
0: Right. And, you know, this brings me to a very important and a rather sad sort of a question, because, you know, as a caregiver, you would want to be there available for your loved one who's gone through, uh, you know, DBS therapy or any kind of surgery for that matter of fact. But there are times when we are not available, right? We are not available 24-7 to take care of our loved ones who could be affected by Parkinson's. What are some of the tips that you could give to them to manage the disease?
1: Yeah, I think this actually talks about a gap which we perceive at times in the care of the patient. Yeah. So ideally speaking, it should be a seamless continuity of care, uh, which should ideally be between the patient Uh, patient's family physician Mm -hmm. then the neurologist Mm -hmm. then the movement disorder specialist which includes a neurophysician Mm -hmm. so you know a nurse in the hospital that is trained to answer common questions and queries of the patients Uh, the other thing which I always uh, would recommend is that one or two of the family members of the patient should actually have a good idea about the disease and the medicines and the stimulation that has been uh, programmed. So one or two people in the family of the patient actually should be so in sync with what is happening that in the event there is a gap or a need for uh, some information or care, uh, mm-hmm. that person can step in and be in touch with the Parkinson specialist nurse One of the team members number we always provide and discharge summary to the patient.
0: Right, right. But I'm sure there are a lot of non-movement related symptoms as well. So then what happens to those? Like if one notices that a person uh, you know your loved one is behaving differently than they usually do. Then what should one do?
1: Yes, so what we call a movement disorders clinic Mm -hmm. and on follow up when we see a patient uh, it's a counselor, a physiotherapist, right, and we sort of like to complete all the aspects of the care of such a patient hmm. as far as possible in a single contact. Right now, the interesting thing, or let's say the reality of the situation, is that in India, uh, mental health is a relatively ignored aspect.
0: Absolutely. So Thank God.
1: we always encourage our patients to see a counselor or a psychologist whenever they are facing issues which include symptoms of, let's say, some negativity or a mild depression or some anxiety. Hmm. Some degree of anxiety is actually very, very understandable when such patients have a surgical procedure. Right. The surgical procedure is is removes them from their environment hmm. and... For a few days, they are not able to have their normal activities and quality of life. Mm -hmm. Most of the patients being in their 50s and 60s uh, is actually, uh, uh, you know, something which is not very, very easy to manage. This change of environment, change of people around you, change of diet, potentially change of activity and all that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you do have, you know, mental health specialists or uh, counselors who can actually take care of the behavioral side of things as well uh, for people who suffer from Parkinson's. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Aditya. Because this was a pleasure
1: being here with you.
0: I'm glad you had fun. <laughs>
1: oh, yes, of course, always. And I'm always very interested in anything which increases the awareness about uh, Parkinson disease and the fact that such patients need not think that their quality of life will be limited. Yeah, uh, and both the medicine and the surgical treatment is actually aimed towards that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and these are the kind of things. This is the kind of information that uh, gives us, uh, you know, hope too because our parents or you know our grandparents or maybe even us we are inching towards our 50s and 60s and these kind of threats are real you know so um but really thank you so much for taking us through the post-surgery care treatment for dbs and sharing such nuanced inputs for caregivers it was a pleasure having you here
1: likewise a pleasure and thank you so much
0: you're welcome Uh, In the next episode, we will bust some common myths regarding the disease that is Parkinson's. That's it for this episode on HealthChurcha. If you want to know more about the diseases discussed in this podcast, please initiate a discussion with your physician. To stay updated on this podcast, follow us at Smartcast. that is H-T-S-M-E-R-T-C-A-S-T, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. And to listen to more such podcasts, log on to HTSmartcast.com. Or suno Naina nazariye se. This is a public awareness initiative supported by Medtronic. Views expressed are independent views of Dr. Aditya Gupta, intended for general information and educational purposes only, and does not constitute any medical advice. Please consult your physician for any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition. The doctor makes no recommendations or endorsements of any products or services.